This is Nick Mason, the Living Dead drummer, and you're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. I know you uh, work on quite a lot of stuff. What are you guys? What are you up to right now? Um, actually, today uh, I got two different cool things today. Um, uh, so. Um, one of the bands that I work with, uh, the Rhythm Coffin, which is described as a monster rock and roll band. Um, they're kind of Kiss meets the B-52s meets the Ramones meets Scooby-Doo. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> it's quite interesting. It, it is. I mean, it's, there's no other real way to describe it. it. It's it's old school rock and roll. It's very very Ramones kind of stripped down progressions and stuff like that. But it's got the same kind of dynamics as like um, the B52s do, where it's like you know two female singers and a male singer, right. um, uh, and then you know, and then everybody's in costumes and makeup and there's a whole theatrical production going on stage like kiss you know what i mean so uh, it's the right. only way i could figure it out and then the scooby-doo element comes in because it's we're every song is about like werewolves and zombies and and monsters nice. um yeah so today's friday the 13th and we just dropped a single um it it hit every major streaming platform uh, at midnight and it's a cover of the monster mash and nice. uh, it features yeah it's we we close out every show playing the monster mash it's like we it's the only cover song we've ever done um the band's been around for like 15 years and at least for the last 10 this is the closer every night no matter what they end the show playing monster mash and they play it very true to the original version it's not super up tempo like all the rest of the songs are um and so we decided to actually just license it for our new record and we did two versions one version is just the band playing it the way we normally play it live and then we did a second version that features guest vocals from davy suicide and calico cooper from oh, nice. uh, bisto blanco and so that version with the guest vocals just dropped at midnight and that's available worldwide right now Nice. nice. Where, can, where can people find um, it? Uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Google Play, uh, SoundCloud, um, pretty much anywhere you get your music from. You know, Target. I don't know. Like <laughs> it's the laundry list of of platforms it's on is like three pages long. Um, cool. But if you just look up the Rhythm Coffin. And the Monster Mash, it, it should pop right up. I'm gonna check um, that out right away. <laughs> yeah, so that so that just came out today, which is awesome. We've been we sat on it for such a long time. Like the idea came about, you know, eight months ago. We were like, let's just let's just license the song and cover it for the new record. Like, why not? And then it was all what the like, hell. What if we called some favors in on this one too? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. So it's the it's the first single on the new EP, which it, it's a six song EP that that will come out um, October first. 
and that's called Monster on My Back, and it's got um, a few new original songs on there, um, and then both versions of the Monster Mash kind of bookending it. The special guest version uh, opens the CD, and then the our version of it, the uh, the regular version, will close it out, and then stacked in the middle is you know a bunch of brand new songs. Nice. Um, Do you find it difficult yeah. playing in in a theatrical setting like that, you know, with all the costumes and props and things. No, you know what? I love it. I, I, it's, I kind of miss all of that in rock and roll. Like when I, I teach my students this all the time is that people don't go to a concert to listen to music. They just don't. They go to watch a show. People listen with their eyeballs. If they're not going to watch a show, then they're going to stay at home with iTunes or, or well, not iTunes anymore, but Spotify, whatever, whatever the most updated thing is. I've been saying that so long. It literally went home from stay at home with radio to, you know, progressing oh, through right. the decades <laughs> of like stay at home with, you know, with your zoom. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, man, uh, my, my, uh, but my iPad's so old, it sounds analog. <laughs> right. Exactly. But the, the point, is the same is that people go out to watch a show and if you're not entertaining them and giving them something to watch, you're failing at your job and you don't deserve to be on stage. So I'm, I'm all about it. Bring the makeup, bring the lights, bring the, the you know, with the rhythm coffin, we have um, different, we have a crew that comes out and actually comes on stage and does different routines while we play kind of like an Alice Cooper show. Uh, you know, we have, we have fire, we have confetti cannons, we have a song called the Headless Head Bop where we literally are throwing styrofoam heads into nice. the audience <laughs> and encouraging people to throw them around. And it looks, dude, from the stage, it looks like you're looking at a popcorn maker out in the crowd because That's it's awesome. just decorated styrofoam heads bouncing around. We we tell people throw them at us. Um, we, we have a song called gruesome cockroach coffee and it's like this super fast like two minute play as fast as you fucking can song and we have two giant like six foot inflatable cockroaches that get <laughs> nice. tossed into the audience <laughs> nice and they go crowd surfing you know what i mean and then you know of course we have we have our guests coming on you know we have a song called famous monster and one of our guys comes out in like a suit and top hat and a creature from the black lagoon mask. And he does the whole kind of like prancing around the stage with the top and tails kind of thing, you know? And, um, it's awesome. I mean, bring it the, the more, the merrier. I, I can't get enough of that stuff. I love it. That's That's awesome. awesome. And then, you know, I grew up on kiss and Alice Cooper and that whole theatrical sort of thing. I'm dating myself, but I really do appreciate the, you know, the full package rather than, you know, just some dude staring at his feet playing the guitar. Yeah. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I, you know, when I kind of matured and came into my own was the early nineties, you know, so the stripped down thing, Nirvana, the grunge movement, that was what sucked me into music in the first place. Yeah. But, and I, and I love it. I, I'm, I have a very, very passionate, you know, opinion that the nineties were the best decade for music top to bottom. <coughs> but, Sorry. But 
you got I like nothing's gonna beat a an Alice Cooper show or a Kiss show or a Rob right. Zombie show or anything like that. Like you're not gonna beat it. You're absolutely not. You know, one of the greatest live shows I've ever seen in my life was Rammstein, and it was just because oh they literally God. lit everything on fire for an hour and a half and then right. peaced out and just left the audience stunned of like, what just happened to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh man, yeah, I like that. I agree. Like, oh um, yeah. I I grew up in like I'm I don't know I'm 43 now, but I grew up in the 90s like you did. And I agree, like, such an amazing thing. But I remember in the 80s, like, when I was in junior high or whatever, I was mm-hmm. going to see Motley Crue, Girls, 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 you know? And Tommy Lee is coming out over the audience in this spinning drum set, and there's fire everywhere. And it was just mesmerizing to see something. Yeah, man. Like I mean, drum solos suck, unless you're doing something like that. Yeah, You exactly. know what I mean? And I'm a drummer, and I'm telling you, like, I think drum <laughs> solos are boring. I think they suck. I see someone doing a drum solo, I'm like, I'm going to go get a beer. Yeah. But <laughs> if you're Tommy Lee and you're swinging from the rafters or, or you're doing something that is a little more inclusive, like when Godsmack does it and Sully rolls out on a drum kit and they do a drum That's battle. That's really cool. You know what I mean? And what people don't realize is that the guitar player and the bass player just step off to the side during that solo but they continue to play. So it's not really a drum solo because there's still rhythm going on. There's still guitar and bass going on underneath it. Just, you know, the spectacle of having two drummers go head to head overshadows it with your eyeballs. So again, it's giving you something to, to latch on to visually. So uh, unless you're going to step up your game and do something really badass like that, drum solos suck. You know, <laughs> I, like, I also like what Metallica did on the last tour where they came out with the big, uh, Tycho drums and they just oh, oh i didn't see that oh you I gotta didn't check to see it out the last round oh uh, yeah when they came to la i was on everybody i knew in the world was at the show <laughs> except me i did see them um when they played jimmy kimmel oh, yeah. um i i got to see that and i very quickly realized that i am too old to be in the front row at a metallica concert <laughs> mm-hmm. um because <laughs> like Oh yeah, it was cool until they started playing, and then I was like, "Oh my god, what the hell?" Um, I'm gonna get injured was here. When I, it was. I mean, I'm like pinned against the guardrail trying to protect some old lady from you know right. twelve dudes who are just slam dancing behind us, and I'm like, "Oh, oh shit!" I'm. I <laughs> this was this was cool when I was 23, but right now I'm like fearing for my safety. <laughs> it's amazing how that all changes, right? Oh, oh yeah. It was, you know, and I was so pumped for it too, because every time I've seen Metallica, I've been fortunate enough to be like right in the pit in the front row. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be great. And, and it's smaller, it's private. They're going to play, you know, two songs to tape on TV and then they're going to play for another 30 minutes of their greatest hits. It's going to be, it's going to be sweet. And I was like, it was sweet until he started playing. (laughs) And then I was more on like, right. Then I felt more like I was trying to be a bouncer than I was enjoying the concert. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I know if you can go oh, on YouTube man. and you can check it out, but they had these these huge Tycho drums that they roll out on stage, but they had like mm-hmm. they had electronic pads in them and the whole band gets in on this drum solo. So they, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was really, really cool. So I don't know. All right. Yeah, check it out. It's pretty cool. I, I really need to, I need to check that out immediately. I'm going to watch that this morning while I'm eating breakfast. I'm going to look that up. That's so cool. Nice. Yeah. 
Now, I have another question for you here. I'm just looking at, at, sure. your, at your Facebook under your biography, and I, there's mm-hmm. so many credits to your name, but there's a few that stick out to me. Tough. How did you end up with that band? <laughs> uh, I love those guys. They're awesome. Um, so I, uh, they're one of their longtime drummers was a longtime friend of mine. Okay. And, and he called me up and, and just needed a sub for a couple of shows kind of thing. They were doing a handful of dates over the course of a week on the West coast. And he had a conflict because he was, I think he was teching for Def Leppard at the time. Ah. So he was on the he was on the road as Def Leppard's drum tech and couldn't do these couple of shows that they were going to do. So he called me up and asked if I wanted a sub for it. Uh and so I did it that way. So I just subbed for a few dates and then um I had a scheduling conflict so I only committed to like the first half of the dates. But after we did those dates, they called me back up and were like, you want to do a couple more? <laughs> and then, um, they, you know, and then we kind of stayed in touch after that. And they called me back up again, you know, a little while later, like, Hey, we're doing some stuff on the East coast. Do you want to fly out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it became one of those things where just every so often they'll call up and say, Hey, we're doing like, you know, a weekend of stuff in this area, or we're doing four or five shows spread out over a week right. over here. And they, they'll just call up every once in a while and, and, uh, throw a couple things at me like, so what's your calendar looking like right now? You know, nice. <laughs> um, I didn't even know they were still playing. That's why I asked. I, you know, I haven't seen, I haven't talked to them in a little while, little while, and I don't know how active they are at the moment. But yeah, for for the last bunch of years, like they'd go out maybe once a year and just do a couple of weekends doing some some festivals or, you know, headlining some some larger or you know small clubs, kind of like middle sized club kind of things. They'll go out and do a handful of dates. And then cap it off with a festival or something like that. Like, yeah. we, you know, when I played with them, we did a couple of radio show um, dates in Southern California and then a crew fest thing. And then oh, nice. we did the same thing on the East Coast where it was like, oh, we played a couple of decent sized clubs headlining and then played, you know, third to last at a two day 80s hair metal festival in in wisconsin or something like that you know yeah um but they're those guys are super super cool um you know a lot of the time with with bands i've found that like either had already kind of plateaued or had their success or or achieved some level of success for a long period of time they can kind of get egotistical and stuff like that and the guys in tough are not that at all like they're they're going into this just you know counting their blessings that people still want to buy a ticket to come see them right and they're really humble and they they know where they're at in their career and there's no misconception about it and they they're fun they joke about it like they they know what's up you know yeah yeah and you know it's cool because they would joke around on stage 
when we would play some of their older material, they're like, Nick was in kindergarten when this song hit MTV. <laughs> and one night, <laughs> you know, and the thing is, one time I did the math on it, and I was like, yeah, sure, I was in kindergarten when this song hit That's MTV. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> now, the other artist yeah. that I see here is Shania Twain. So, yeah, of, that one all, got me. of all the three things, all of, like you're talking about the first band, which is like, you know, totally theatrical and doing the monster mash. Then you go to eighties hair metal and now you have Shania. How, how, yeah. how did that even happen? Like is, that, there's nobody bigger than Shania besides Garth Brooks. So like, how did you get right. on that gig? Um, the, that one was, was a long, long time ago. And, um, what happened was it was like her first big tour, before or i mean her last big tour before she kind of took a hiatus for a while yeah mm-hmm. and um what she she had a section in her show built in that um required extra percussion ah. you know and rather than hire a handful of guys to come out on the road to come do just one part of the show yeah, and have it be really expensive and cost worthy, and you know, renting extra bunks on the bus just so a couple guys can come out on stage for ten minutes a night. Yeah, um, she decided to just farm local talent in every stop along the the tour. Oh, that's awesome! And so I got a call uh, saying Shania's looking for drummers, and she's coming to town in two days or something like that, and. And I got put in touch with her record label and then they set it up. So, um, you know, they kind of did like a, a quick audition where they, they took like 20 guys and, you know, we had to, we had to learn the material real quick. And then the band kind of came in and just cherry picked and went, I want you, I want you and I want you and the rest of you guys go home. And then the next thing you do is you're on stage, you know, doing sound check in an arena. (laughs) Um, yeah so it was cool so i ended up doing that which was kind of badass and it was cool and it was uh you know i was young and it was my first time stepping onto stage in front of twenty thousand people which was outstanding and then she went on to win i think at the cma she won like best live you know show of the year or something like that and the cool thing is during all of the concert footage they showed of her when she was nominated, it was all footage from the show I did with her. Oh, that's <laughs> beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, it was great. Um, and so that's where that kind of came in. I mean, it was a quick thing. It's not like I was on the road with her for a long time or anything like that. It was, um, it was like one section of one part of the tour, but it was, it was still cool. And it was still a really great experience of getting my feet wet in arena production Sure. Which then kind of helps later in the career when I would get to to do that a few more times, you know. Oh, absolutely. Also, yeah, very also- cool that you could do some other kind of music that it crossover. Oh yeah, I mean, I I, I like variety, you know. Um, I get asked a lot by people like, "Wouldn't you like to just be in one band and have just one band?" And I'm like, "No, I <laughs> like mm-hmm. I like." going and doing something different all the time. Actually, the last gig I did was a country gig. Um, a week ago, a, a friend of mine called me and asked me to sub for him on a country gig. It was like the most ridiculous situation ever. 
um, less than 24 hours notice and doing four sets of country songs, like 60 something songs. Right. With, with no prep time at all. And I told him, I'm like, I don't have time to even like make a playlist to listen to these songs, much less learn them before five o'clock tomorrow. So if your band is cool with me, just kind of showing up and winging it, then yeah, I'll do the gig. And that's exactly what I did. And that's, that's what I did. And there was like, out of these 60 some songs, they gave me the set list. Now I'm like, yeah, I've, heard of five of these and the rest of them i don't i have no idea what they are i don't know how they sound i don't nothing so you know luckily i had a good bass player and and just he was able to kind of hold my hand through all the songs and give me all the changes and the stops and and where the tempos were and stuff like that and then i and i step out and i did you know an entire night of country and that was last week, and now tonight I'm doing a vaudeville-themed show <laughs> wow. playing, you know, again, really theatrical stuff where I'm going to be in makeup and we're going to have burlesque dancers on stage. And, you know, and um, yeah, it's like, you know, and then the next one's going to be something different, and then the next one's something different. And it's, uh, I like it that way. You know what I mean? I like That's being able cool. to play play metal on Thursday and then play the blues on Friday. It's, it's great. That's, That's awesome. Okay. Now, and, I, Oh, go ahead. Yo, go ahead. I have a really, <laughs> I have a really geeky question. So okay. I own a software company that makes drum virtual instruments. What, mm-hmm. what is your favorite snare drum? Um, my favorite snare drum, it, it you know, it's kind of a, kind of a coin toss so uh, there's like the coveted holy grail of of snares and that's um like the tama bell brass from the 80s that's a beautiful which drum. everybody makes a version of it nowadays and stuff like that which is cool but, but that was the snare drum that was heard on every major rock record when i was growing up it was, and it's instantly identifiable. It's the snare drum on all of '90s Metallica stuff, the Black Album, Load, Reload. Like yeah. it's the snare drum that Dave Grohl used on Nevermind. It's yeah. it was used like every big rock record in the '90s. That was the snare drum that the producer would roll out. Yeah, well, that and, was it. Was backline. They would just rent it. <laughs> yeah, and they they and yeah, I had a fly date out here in LA before I lived here one time. Yeah. And I went to the same backline company, um, to get my gear and they had three of them. Oh my and God. You just know, you just knew one of those was used on all these records. And I was like, <laughs> I'll take that. Taking that one. You know what I mean? Um, how heavy was it? It, Oh, it weighs like 15 pounds. It's ridiculous. You know, <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> um, it's so good though. You can put any head on it. You can tune it any way you want, no matter what, it's going to sound great. Yeah. And especially in a studio, you can do so much with it and tweak it so many ways to make it sound like a thousand different things. So that's probably one of my favorite snares. And, and then opposite that is like, you know, the, the black beauty snare yeah the ludwig black beauty which is you know a much thinner version of the bell brass so the bell brass is 
three millimeters thick and a and it's bronze and then you know a black beauty is one millimeter thick brass that is coated in in black chrome and that's another one that i have two versions of that snare neither one's an actual ludwig one but they're i have a yamaha one that they custom made me nice. and it's cool because it's flat black and it's the only one in existence and then i have mm-hmm. another one that's got the black chrome on it that that i got and um that's another one that can just do anything i use it probably about 90 percent of the time on every recording and every live show i do because no matter what head i put on it or how i tune it I'm going to get the sound I want. If I need a big, deep, fat country sound, yeah. I'm put a thick head on it and drop tune it. If I need to play, you know, a funk tune, I'll crank the head and put something thinner on it and it'll do that. And then I'll sound like the chili peppers or, uh, you know what I mean? Like yeah, it can versatile. do anything, no matter what it can do anything. And, um, uh, so I use that more than anything else. Ever and that's why I own two of them. It's because, you know, I'm I'll bring two of them out on a gig. So if one goes down mid show, my backup sounds exactly the same. Right? <laughs> that's <You know>? Awesome. <laughs> that's pretty perfect. Okay, now yeah, this is my last. Te- I'm such a tech geek. Sometimes I drive no, crazy. No, I am this too. Way. I really, I'm super nerdy and super geeky, and I I absolutely love talking about gear and stuff like that. Um, it, you know, however, unless your listeners are drummers, they're going to be like, dude, who the fuck is snare drum? But, you know. No, it, it's, so, it's, it, shoot. it, it, it's me. I always ask drummers these questions because I, I want to know. Cool. And, um, yeah. How do you feel about electronic kits now and, and, and virtual instruments and how they're kind of transforming the way people are, are tracking music these days, especially drums? Um, I got a love hate with it. So, you know, electronic drum kits have come a long way. And the, the top tier ones that you can get right now um, are really, really fantastic. And, and you can do a lot with them. And, and I absolutely see their benefit. And I've done a, a bunch of records where pre-production was all done on, like, an expensive electronic kit. And we just MIDI sampled, you know some software that has actual audio samples of drums that I wanted to use. Yeah. And it, it sounds good. It sounds really, really good. But at the end of the day, nothing's going to beat the sound of an actual mic'd drum. And so that's always my preference. Now with, with being a, a session drummer and playing live more than in the studio, I, I'm always learning songs for somebody else. Everyone's always sending me their songs and I'm just learning whatever it was that they already produced. Yeah. I'd say 75% of the time, there's no drummer on those songs and it's all programmed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you get a really good producer and you, and they really know how to do this stuff, the programming sounds fantastic to the point where you, you almost can't even tell that it's not a drummer, but there's not everybody in the world is that precise with it. And (laughs) I don't care what you say. A guitar player is not going to know how to properly program drums to make them 
feel and sound like a drummer played it, no, no I, matter right. what. I, I have a theory, and, and I even started a blog yeah. about it called Think Like a Drummer. So, like, because I was sick and tired of getting mixes from bands that were programmed by guitar players or singers. Yeah. You know, they just sound yeah. so, like, it, there's no pattern to anything. There's no rudiments. There's nothing. <laughs> it's well, just... A lot of the time what I've found, and this has become really very, very trendy in in modern rock music the last handful of years, is they start changing up the kick pattern too often, and it almost never recycles back to just a groove. Yeah, It's like, oh no, like it's going to play this for a bar and a half, and then it's going to add this note, but then it's going to take it away there, and then it's going to add two more notes there, and then like... Your kick pattern's all over the place, and it's because you got you know a guitar player or a singer or somebody thinking that they're being creative, and it's like no, if you just put make a pattern out of it yeah. that recycles every bar or every two bars, and then you spread that out over eight to sixteen bars. Oh my God, there's your kick pattern, and it doesn't have to progress and chop up and be something completely different on bar sixteen than it was on bar one. Oh yeah, it's you're destroying the actual groove by trying to be creative because you're you're not really being creative you're just making something different for the sake of making it different absolutely and and the other thing people don't realize is that drummers have two arms and that's it <laughs> two unless you're Def Leppard <laughs> then you only get one right <laughs> generally speaking two and you can't program things that require three or four arms and that happens a like lot a Snare and, floor tom, two cymbals and a hi-hat at the same time? You don't like that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it happens all the time because they're like, they want to beef up the sound. And then I'm like, yeah, it sounds cool, but you can't duplicate that live. Oh, no, what's and, that going to look like? Yeah, and I'm of, the mo- I'm of the opinion that anything you put down you know, in the studio needs to be duplicated live. You want your listeners to watch the show hearing what they remember, not hearing your interpretation of what they remember. Like that's doing a disservice to your audience is, you know, is doing something different on stage than what you threw down in the studio, in the studio and what they're hearing on the radio. Like, I don't want to go see a band and have them play some weird artistic version or a bastardized version because they can't actually pull it off oh, yeah, exactly. when they're on stage. You know what I mean? Um, where you can get away with that sort of thing, I think, is with specific genres of music. Um, when it comes to you know, electronic music, obviously, it's in the name. It's electronic. Um, in other aspects, too, um, industrial bands and stuff like that, I, you know... I'm going to go to a Nine Inch Nails show or something like that, or, or a band that's even more extreme, like KMFDM. I'm going to go see them live, knowing full well that that shit on the record wasn't real. It was programmed, but they are still going to duplicate it live through the use of you know, backing tracks and, and MIDI and yeah, samples and, and triggers and all kinds of stuff like that. But that's the nature of that kind of music. So... I feel like you get a pass with that sort of thing. But if you're, you know, playing in a regular rock band or a country band or, or whatever, um, I, I, 
really am a fan of like a drummer went into the studio and actually hit a drum to produce the sound that I'm right. hearing on Spotify. Oh, you know? I, I agree with you. I own a drum software company. I make virtual instrument drum software, but as an engineer, I always prefer a live drummer. I, yeah. It, there's yeah, just absolutely. something, there's just something about that feel. And, you know, you could try to recreate that and you can get pretty damn close with software, you know, but yeah, you also lose the drummer because you know, I always, I always like to use this as an example. You could put four drummers in the same room and have them have like run a blind test and tell each of them to play four on the floor, and and then you're gonna have to choose which one played it the best. And let's just say they're all the best drummers in the world. They're all gonna have a different four on the floor. Every single one of them, even though it's the same beat. Absolutely, absolutely. You like there is nothing. Um, incorrect about what you just said that that's, I, I 100% agree. And, and when you decide which one played it the best too, that's subjective. That's Absolutely. a matter of your personal opinion. Cause you could also stick four guys behind the board and be like, no, I liked a, and the other guys can be like, no, I like guy B, you know what I mean? Sure. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing too, is there's this striving for perfection thing i i think really with at the end of the day why so many people are using program drums and stuff is a it's easy anyone can do it um and b it's this this striving for perfection that everyone has everyone wants things a specific way it's a control issue they want control over the finished product and by putting someone behind the driver's seat that's not you is relinquishing that control on a subliminal level mm -hmm. and it's very difficult for people who are producing this music or any music to give up that control because they want it their way and if you hit the snare drum in a way that doesn't sound like what you have it in your head as yeah then you're gonna get axed from the gig and they're gonna program it and it's it's stupid. It's absolutely <laughs> stupid. I think it's more affordable it's, too, you know, for a lot of people. Where we are. Well, yeah, that's the other thing too, is you don't gotta pay a guy to come in and do it and then have that person do it a way that doesn't line up with the fictional version you have floating around in your head. You know, and, what I mean? and the studio time so, and the engineer and and you know, it's all like yeah. you know, like I don't know what studio rates are like in, in LA, but here in DC, I can get a decent studio for about a thousand US for for a day, and then I have to pay. If I was a musician, I'd have to pay the engineer. So that's going to be what another three to five hundred bucks for the day, and then, you know, then you have the musician that you have to pay, and however many songs they're going to do, and and how how, how much right. they're going to charge per song. By the end of the day, you know, maybe you're going to do five songs. You might be looking at you know four or five thousand dollars for that day. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's the other thing, too, is that no one has the budgets that they used to have. A lot of people now are just self-financing, too. Absolutely. Um, it's the majority sad. of the work that I do is all like a dude scraping by at a day gig to then hire me to play his songs, you know? Yeah. And so the budgets aren't what they used to. Time is money. And 
um, it's funny. I was listening to one of your, your guys' podcasts just yesterday, um, and you had a band on from, from overseas, and they were talking about their new record and how they actually, you know, spent like a month in the studio kind of doing it old school. Oh, yeah. And, and I was like, man, nobody gets to do that anymore. Like, nowadays, yeah. when I'm hired to come in on a session, they want to layer as many songs on, they, on me as they can in a six-hour block. And try to have me crank out, you know, five, six, seven, sometimes ten songs in one day. Yeah. And they want me to do it in in seven or eight hours. And I'm like, that's not realistic. Like, it's right. insane. Are you kidding me? I said that you to know? those guys. I remember saying that to them. What? You yeah. spent that long <laughs> in the studio? How the hell did you do no that? No one gets to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No one no one ever gets to do that at all anymore. The the rhythm coffin, the the record that we have coming out with the Monster Mash on and everything. We did drums, guitar, bass, vocals on five, and not just one vocal, like everybody in the band sings. So five people doing vocal tracks, myself included. We did five songs in one 12 hour day. Yeah. And then went back a second day to mix, went back a third day to add the guest vocals with Calico and Davey. And then, um, and then I went back by myself with the engineer on a fourth day to mix just that song with their vocals. And, um, so a total of four days in the studio and, and, you know, the, the mixing days were only kind of half days, but, you know, we cranked out a, a top to bottom six song record in four days, realistically, Wow, which is stupid. It should have oh, taken yeah, us four absolutely. months, not four days. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's how everybody wants it now. And that's the other thing too, is it, it puts so much pressure on the players and on the musicians. So when you do have a drummer coming in and you do have a, a guitar player and a bass player coming in, and you're not just doing it by yourself or programming it. That's a lot of pressure you're putting on somebody um, expecting them to just crank all of these songs out take after take after take after take. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's gotten to a point where I'll, I'll tell people, I'm like, look, you got three takes. I'll run the song top to bottom three times. You pull what you need from those three takes. I'm not doing any more than that. Cause it's going to waste time or we're not going to get to the next song. Yeah. Absolutely. And honestly, if I can't nail it in three takes, then I'm not doing my job. Right. So right. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but it would be nice to be you able to like the drummer on the song dreams. and be a little more creative. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's awesome. Bruce? Um, yeah. If, uh, do you have any more technical questions, Chris? Are you, we, no, uh, sorry. I just, I geek out. No, when that's I fine. To drummers, man. I just, you know. That's, I know we do this a lot, but so I just like to, uh, ask some questions at the end just for uh get fans a chance to get to know you a little bit better but if you were stranded on a deserted island and could take three records say for the rest of your life assuming you had like a solo powered player of some sort what would they be um uh this was that's damn it this is one of (laughs) i hate desert island questions (laughs) because i'm like i don't know i don't know what i would we could skip that that then what was the first record you bought with your own answer okay I'll give you an answer. It's okay. All right. it's like I gotta, I gotta like think. You said three records, three that I had to live sure. with for the rest of my life. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh. I'm gonna say 
Aerosmith's first record. They're self-titled. Mm-hmm. Um, the Black Album from Metallica. Nice. Um, yeah, and the third one, man, I, I, I don't know if I'd have an actual specific album, but I probably would take something from like ZZ Top. Oh, cool. Um, Nice. You know what I mean? I, I feel like I, that's a good balance. The Metallica can can get some energy out when I need it. Um, Aerosmith's my favorite record. Or, or it's my favorite band of all time. I don't know my favorite record, but my favorite band of all time. And their first record just, you know, is perfect front to back. And, and it and set really, the tone for the rest of their career. Yeah, and and absolutely it did. And then... I've always been a fan of ZZ Top because they they made blues cool in an era when blues was very underground kind of thing. And you know they were they were big in the '80s with all the hair metal, but they weren't doing yeah. hair metal. They were doing sharp dressed man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they made the blues fun in that era. And I love the I absolutely love the blues, um, and and all all decades of it kind of thing. But they were like the fun blues band, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. um, I think that would be good to cleanse the palate every once in a while when, when I've had too much Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, that's all I've got, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Chris, you got anything else? No, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. I, I, I'm a geek and I love talking about no, that. No, that turned like out that. nice. Yeah. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.